You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Good morning. I'm going to crack right on this morning with part two of Rooted and Established in Love. Last week was part one. This is part two. We're considering the words of Paul in his prayer for the Ephesians that we find in chapter three of Ephesians. Maybe you want to turn there. We'll just read the two key verses here. This is Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. It says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God." this magnificent prayer that Paul is praying for the believers. They've already believed in Jesus Christ. They're already followers, but Paul is saying, I pray that you would be rooted, that you would be established in love. And this is where we were last week. We considered God's love for us again. We considered what it's like, his multidimensional love, like Paul calls it wide and long and high and deep, and we, we talked about what that can tell us about God's love. We talked about the word chesed, the Hebrew word, one of the words that gets used in the Old Testament to describe the love of God. Because it unpacks how unfailing his love is, that he is faithful even when we are unfaithful, that he is a God of covenant. His love is a covenant love. And then we considered the cross, the cross of Jesus Christ, where he faced anguish and suffering and pain and took our sin and our shame and faced that sense of forsakenness by the Father as he carried the wrath for all that we've ever done. Even though it was that bad, Jesus still went through with it. He went through with the plan because he loves you, because he cares for you. He's willing to give whatever it takes for you. It says there on the screen, Romans 8.32, which is a verse which says, he who did not spare his only son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? How could he not? If he's not spared his son, how could he not also graciously give us all things? So we were reminded, Jesus is not gonna walk out on us. His love has proved that, the cross proves that. This love of God can impact and transform our lives. I found it really precious last week that at the end of one of the services, a lady came to the front. She'd been a Christian for many years. She wasn't new to faith. She's not peripheral to to what's going on here. But she came and her face was tear-stained. She said, until today, I'd never really believed it. I'd never really believed that God loved me. And in the preaching of the word, the Holy Spirit had made something real to her. And she'd encountered his love in a way that she hadn't before and believed that Jesus loved her that God loved her. 
And I know that during this time of prayer and fasting, yep, there's some things we want to see a breakthrough in. Yes, we want to reach our city, but one of the things as we pray and fast is the Lord shows us more of himself and often gives us a fresh revelation of his love for us. You know, we all have more to discover of the love of God. This love that surpasses knowledge, we all have more ground to take. But that's where we were last week. And today's message is not a standalone message because really last week was the foundation for this week's message. If you weren't able to be here, you can find the message on our podcast. That's clmchurch.co.uk forward slash resources and it will take you there. If you are out with Sunday sessions, if you're one of our young people, why not listen to that this week? As part of some time with God, maybe part of what you're doing for 21 days, you could listen to that. And I know that God will impact your heart and your life with his love for you. But here this morning, we're considering this need that Paul is praying for, for us to be rooted and for us to be established in love. Grasping how wide and long and high and deep is this love. And I'm going to actually be building really upon the basis that we built last week. So I'm going to assume that we're beginning to accept the truth that God loves us, that we're beginning to move on from this sense of, if I was God, I wouldn't love me, which we've kind of mentioned in the last couple of weeks. And we're beginning to get beyond the arguments, the wrestling in our minds that can sometimes happen over this. And we are believing that God accepts me and loves me. And so then this morning, I want us to go on to consider how can we become rooted and established in love? So this morning, this is what the message is going to look like. We're going to visit briefly the context of God's love just to help us. We're then going to take a little bit of time and go back into Genesis, which is going to help us and create a foundation for us to understand what we mean by the roots of our lives and why they're so important. Then we're going to consider what our lives might be rooted in currently. And then we're going to come to some practical steps that we can take so that our lives are rooted and established in love. So first up, the context of God's love. It's really important that we understand we cannot separate the love of God from God himself. We can't take it out and have it separate. I can't hope to come to church and keep encountering the love of God all the time not interested in having a relationship with him. His love is not a thing. It's not an entity that can be separated from his person. It's not an energy or something like that. Even though we may feel something when we walk in the room sometimes, that's because God is here and he's wooing you and drawing you. It's an outflow of relationship towards you. It's an expression of the self-giving of God in relationship to you. I wonder if you could imagine for a moment if I came to talk to you about my marriage and I explained to you that I've got an expectation. I want to feel like I'm loved by my husband. I don't feel it at the moment, but I want to. I feel I should do. I expect that. But at the same time, I don't want to spend any time with him. I don't want to listen to him talk. I'm not bothered about what he's got to say. I disregard what he says, actually. This is not true, just to put you, it's okay. The marriage is okay, but this is just for the illustration. You know, if that was the case, then I came and spoke to you, and I asked you for some advice. Every single one of you in the room could give me some sensible advice. You'd say, well, you can't have his love without having him. You can't feel love without engaging in relationship. When we think about people, it's 
obvious. And it's true also with God. We can't separate this sense of grasping the love of God, of knowing it, of encountering, of being rooted in God's love. We can't separate that from engaging with God himself. John in his gospel in chapter 15, he gives us this picture that Jesus gave us. Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. And he says, remain in me. It's another way of just saying, be rooted in me. In the same passage, John says this, now remain in my love. Same as be rooted in my love, remain in my love. And then he says, if you obey my commands, you'll remain in my love. He also says in the same passage, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, he goes on to make an incredible promise here, not an incredible promise, an amazing promise. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. You see, when we read that passage, we understand that God himself and his love and his words and his commands, they're part of a bundle. They come together. These are a multi-pack. They can't be sold separately. We can't pick one of these out and say, well, I want that one, but not the others. I'll have the love, but not his word. I'll have his word, but not relationship. No, 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 the three, they come together. Remaining in him, remaining in his love, his words remaining in us. We can't just take one part. So as we come to consider this morning being rooted and established in God's love and how we can move towards that, we can't consider it in isolation of God, of who he is and of what he says, of what is written in the Bible, which we understand brings us his word. And being rooted and established in love will find us grounding our lives in God, in relationship with him, in his word, and in what he has said. So I'm gonna bring us back to the question that I mentioned last week, which is what is your life rooted in? Where are the roots of your life? And I'm thinking maybe you're sitting there thinking, I've got no idea. I don't even know what you mean by the roots of my life. You see, we, we were all created with a deep part of us that was made to know God, to connect with God and interact with God. Whether you want to call that your heart, your soul, your spirit, there's argument for using any of those terms. But it's the essence of who you are as a person, the part that will live on when your body is worn out and you die, the part of you that will stand before God one day. It's the person you are with all the externals removed. Our society doesn't talk about this. It doesn't really care for it, it gives it very little attention. Places no value upon it, although it is of the greatest, utmost value. And for the purposes of this morning, I'm gonna refer to it as our soul. And our soul is key to this conversation today because it drives us to be rooted in something. And I'm gonna take us back briefly, right to the start and back to Genesis. So come with me, this is just a layer foundation and then we'll get more practical in a few moments. You see, if we know the story, the account back in Genesis, man and woman were made, they were designed by God in his image and put in the garden in Eden. A place to live, a place to tend, and God walked with them in the garden. These were the conditions that were designed for man to live in, for the human soul to thrive in, and crucially, God was present. In Genesis 1.31, it tells us that God saw all that he'd made and it was very good. 
And in Genesis 2.13, it tells us that the man and the woman were naked and they felt no shame. I don't know if you, well, we've probably all felt shame. We know it's a painful emotion, but it, it comes from an awareness of having done something dishonorable or unworthy. But Adam and Eve had no sense of this, which says to me that in that place, they felt honored, they felt worthy to be there. They felt right there. It was very good. They must have felt acceptance and approval, all the things that make us emotionally well. They must have had a sense of belonging and intimacy, significance and satisfaction from the things that the Lord had maybe given them to do there. And in his love and relationship, it was very good and they felt no shame. God had planted them in Eden and he walked with them there. If you like, they were rooted into the soil that he had designed for them to flourish and to thrive. But of course everything changed when they were tempted and they rebelled against God. They took their own choice instead of following what he had said to them. In that moment, they, if you like, uprooted themselves from the parameters that God had created for them to thrive in and they thought they'd give it a go outside of that. They chose not to obey God and as we all know, that didn't end well. And their sin and their rebellion, it doesn't change God, but it does change them. Let me read a few verses to you from Genesis 3, 8 to 10. It says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. This is related, stay with me. You see, in this moment, Adam and Eve, having been planted right where God knew they would thrive, their souls would be fulfilled. In this moment, they have their first experience of fear and of shame and of guilt. And in a moment, they've become aware of evil. You see, the apple they ate was from a tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I think they knew about good beforehand. They were living in good. It was very good. But in that moment, they chose to know evil. I don't know if you can imagine what it could possibly have been like to have not known about evil, to have been fully fulfilled and present with God, and suddenly in a moment to make a choice that makes you feel fear and shame and guilt and to suddenly have an awareness that evil exists. It must have been terrifying. It must have been overwhelming. And then they heard God walking in the garden. And it says they were afraid because they were naked and they hid. They knew they disregarded his word. They knew they had removed themselves from where they'd been planted and they didn't know what consequences they were going to face. And as many of you will know, they had to leave that garden. And maybe some of us have thought that that was because God was punishing them for their sin and their disobedience. Friends, I want to tell you this was not a punishment. This was a consequence. It was actually a protection from God because the other tree in the garden that they needed to not eat from now was the tree of life. And the Lord said, if they eat from that now, they'll always be in this sinful state. There will be no way out. You see, God had a redemption plan even then. 
And amazingly, the death of our bodies is part of it. It's important for us to understand that when we sin, God doesn't immediately respond with punishment. But there is consequence that impacts our hearts and it impacts our relationship and it changes us. And we need to understand this to understand the roots of our lives and what's going on with our souls. You see, these ones who are made to live encountering the presence of God, walking with them, finding everything their souls needed, they found themselves uprooted out of this place. Their souls, the deep part of them now experiencing fear and guilt and shame and living in a place where God no longer walked with them in the way that he had done before. And yet the design of their souls hadn't changed. The needs of their hearts hadn't changed. But the roots of their lives had been uprooted from the place where those needs were met. And this is important for us, friends, because this was the beginning that's our beginning. This is what we've inherited. We are sons of Adam and daughters of Eve with souls designed for the presence of God. Souls designed to be rooted in the love of God. Souls designed to be satisfied by him, drawing from him unfailing love, acceptance, approval, significance, and satisfaction in him and the very fact that he loves us. We're designed to be rooted in his love, finding our intimacy primarily fulfilled in him. This is what we were designed for. This is what our souls were designed from. But we've been uprooted from the source that fulfills it. And so our souls drive us to be rooted in something. They drive us to find something that will fulfill. So you see, the soul is very needy. I don't know if you've ever come across the term high maintenance. Yeah, I'm thinking from the chuckle, and not only do you know the term, but probably you know someone who is high maintenance. Maybe you work with someone who is high maintenance. Maybe you live with someone who is high maintenance. Can I just say, if you do live with someone who's high maintenance, don't look at them now if they're on the row. It will be really obvious. Don't, don't look at them. Just keep eyes front. Eyes front. By high maintenance, normally we mean kind of someone who, who requires a lot of attention or or a lot of emotional investment. It's a term often, it's, it can be used very negatively of women. It's very unfair, I feel. I feel that just because we talk more, it doesn't mean that we're more needy. We're not less complex. I have a witness. Hold on, no, this wasn't meant to be a gender thing. You see, the truth is, friends, we're all high maintenance. We're all high maintenance because we all have a soul that was meant to be fulfilled by God. We all have a soul that was designed for Eden, designed for God's presence, designed for God to be walking with us, designed to be rooted in his love and his presence. And we've been uprooted from that place, which means you're needy. It means I'm needy. You can turn to the person next to you and say, you're needy. <laughs> and now you can turn to them and say, and so am I. So am I. Friends, we're all high maintenance. We're living with souls designed for the love and the presence of God that are now desperately seeking to be fulfilled somehow. And so our souls really are driving the roots of our lives to plant us somewhere, anywhere, to fulfill the need. 
somewhere that we're gonna feel loved, that we're gonna feel accepted, that we're gonna find approval, that we're gonna have a sense of being significant, that we're gonna feel like we belong. Anywhere that we might feel that we have intimacy, or if we can't find those things, just plant us somewhere that will amuse us and distract us from the ache that is in our souls. So we put our roots into all manner of different things and devote our souls to them. Maybe for you it's work or career, relationships, marriage. Maybe it's the things that we achieve, pursuing success, whatever you may perceive it to be. Yep, and maybe it's sex. I nearly said it, but let's say it. Maybe it's sex. It's not an inappropriate comment right now. Maybe it's a child or family, social media, popularity, material things, cars, gadgets, devices, maybe clothes or shoes. There's an amen there, I'm sure, from someone. Adventures. Maybe it's wealth or money that you're pursuing, football or some other sport that gives us something that we need. You know, these are all things that can be really good in our lives but not if we're looking to them to satisfy our souls, not if we're looking to them to fulfill the part of us that was made to be filled by God. And of course, not everything our roots find for us is good. There's also some of us, we find there's a need to be in control and the slippery slope into life-controlling behaviors. Maybe there's things like pornography, which suggests fulfillment, but actually only feeds lust that cannot be satisfied. There's alcohol, drugs, gambling. The list is endless of the ways that we'll either try to be fulfilled or try to find distraction because our soul is driving our roots. John Ortberg, just to mention, I'm not on commission for John Ortberg's books just because I've read from them two weeks running, but in his book, Soul Keeping, he says this really to those who would seek to work out where their roots are, what their souls are rooted in. He says, most people, especially religious people, would probably say their souls are devoted to God. And we want to believe that's true even when we devote our souls to something else. Consider as honestly as possible the following statements. If any of them even slightly resemble your thoughts, it's quite possible you've discovered the true devotion of your soul. I think about money a lot as in getting more of it. Sometimes I fantasize about winning the lottery or coming into a big inheritance. I have a mental wish list of the things I'd like to buy if money were no object. I wish I had more power and control over others. It seems as if my spouse and kids just don't respect me enough. Same at work. I know I would handle it carefully. I would just like to be a more powerful person. I have missed important family events in order to pursue my career. I justify it by telling myself and my family that this is what it takes to provide for them. I tell myself that if I keep working hard, I will reach a level where I'll be able to relax a little and spend more time with the people I love. I consider myself an honest person, someone with good values, but I would set those values aside to pursue something important to me if I knew no one else would know about it. I have desires that I prefer not to have my spouse know about. And if I'm confronted by any of those desires, I become defensive and try to justify it. I have secrets that I'm willing to protect. 
More than once, I've had arguments over something I wanted to do but my spouse did not, or something I wanted to buy that my spouse didn't think I should buy. Aside from my family and others I love, there are things in my life that if they were lost or destroyed, it would crush me, devastate me. If my doctor told me to give up alcohol or red meat or caffeine because it was seriously putting my health at risk, I would find it difficult to the point of being impossible. I would likely not tell anyone to, to avoid accountability. If you ask my family what was most important to me, they would likely refer to my job, my favorite hobby, making money. They would probably not say it was them. I love God and I want to more closely follow him, but there's this one thing that always seems to get in the way. It's not an exhaustive list, but maybe you're beginning to be able to see where the roots of your life might be, some of the areas where we might be planting them. And you know, we struggle to let go because our soul clings to those things because our need is so great. Last week I mentioned there was a season in my life when the Holy Spirit came and helped me to understand that I was not rooted and established in the love of God. I was in my early 20s, I'd graduated and was beginning to work as a physiotherapist, I'd just got married. In fact, outwardly, if you looked at my life, things were going well. Things looked like they were on track, if you like. But the truth was that on the inside, I was not in great shape. I was committed to God. I'd been a Christian for many years. I was passionate about following God. I read the Word of God pretty much daily. I went to church twice on a Sunday. I ran a group for nines to elevens in the Sunday school, and I also led an inter-church prayer breakfast for kids. It was going some. If you looked at my life, you'd have said, well, probably she's rooted and established in love, but I wasn't. Some of that was outward. And the way that I came to realize that things weren't as they needed to be is that although sometimes I felt okay and things were all right, often I would feel very down. I would often feel very sad and negative about life, particularly about myself. I had low self-worth. Sometimes I could get very upset for prolonged periods because I felt so rubbish about myself. There were components of that that related to body image. Sometimes I felt lonely. Sometimes I just couldn't understand the barrage of negativity that was on the inside of me. I was frustrated at my own internal state. I had many insecurities. I had a frequent sense of inadequacy, not being enough, which really is another expression of shame. And there was nothing really in the circumstances of my life to warrant this. And mercifully, into that mess of a circumstance, the Holy Spirit just helped me to understand some things of what was going on on the inside of me. He helped me see that I was searching for approval, for acceptance and significance in the people and the roles around my life. That my soul was searching for the love and acceptance that is found in him, but I was expecting my husband and my job, my church, to fill that hole. And guess what? They didn't. They couldn't. 
And it left me feeling that I wasn't enough or sometimes that they weren't enough. You see, my roots were in the people around my life, in my relationships, seeking acceptance. My roots, they were in what I did and what I achieved in serving and helping and being able to contribute something, in having a role. I was, I was trying to find significance and position. My roots were in being newly married, searching for intimacy and affirmation. My roots also were in pride that compared myself to others, trying to find a favorable report to tell me I was okay, or I looked okay, or I was okay, because of how I compared to others. Now don't get me wrong, marriage is a good thing. Friends are good things, to work and serve and achieve, these are good things, these are part of what we were made to do. But they're not good if we're wanting those things alone to satisfy our souls that were made to be fulfilled by God. If we're trying to draw from them what only God can give, then those things won't deliver. On the other hand, pride and comparison of yourself to others is never a good thing. It's never a good thing. It has, at its core, a competitiveness that is seeking to be the best. And even on a good day, you're always at the mercy of the next person to walk in the room, which is a very delicate place to be living. So into all this mess, the Holy Spirit reminded me that he loved me, that God loved me with this chesed love we talked about last week, an unfailing love that wasn't going anywhere, that he'd proved at the cross that his love was real, that in Christ he'd covered me and Christ had made me enough, that he accepted me and approved of me. Now, of course, I didn't need to leave my marriage or my job or walk away from my friendships or change church, but I needed to stop expecting those things to meet the needs of my soul, but instead to understand that God was committed to me, passionate about me, and that his love was enough if I would let it be so, if I would take my roots out of those other things and put my roots into him, into his love. And as I began to em embrace this truth, that actually I just needed to reposition my roots, to understand, to actively remind myself that God loved me, that he'd chosen me, that he'd given himself for me. I, I started going to the word and finding the verses that spoke to me about that. Verses like Jeremiah 31.3 that says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with loving kindness. As I began to do that and began to be intentional about thinking about those things, about verses that told me about the love of God, what I realized, it became apparent that there were a whole host of lies that I thought about frequently. I filled my mind with them. I had patterns of thinking that were connected to the areas where I'd had my roots in before. There were lies that said those things were the answer, that those things would fulfill me. There were lies that said they would satisfy me. There was the lie that when they didn't satisfy me and fulfill me, that it was because I wasn't enough. There were lies that I was worthless and rubbish. You know, I know this morning there'll be somebody here, and you think that of yourself sometimes. I just want to break into my story and simply to say, the King of Heaven gave himself for you. He gave himself for you because you are worth it. 
how could you be worthless if the king of all heaven and earth would give himself for you? But these were the kind of thoughts, thinking I was rubbish, listening to these lies. They were kind of part of an internal playlist that went round and round in my head. I found that my mind was not my friend in that season. And the Holy Spirit helped me to see that as I began to be rooted in his love, that I could deal with those patterns of thought and those lies and those things that were in my head. In fact, I needed to dismantle those processes that were in my head. There were patterns of thinking, and there probably are in your mind too, because thinking is a very habitual business. One thought leads to another thought and on to another thought, generally a downward spiral. And the ways that we've thought before are generally the ways that we think today. I found in that season I had to find truth to think instead. You know, sometimes when you're trying to change how you think, thinking something different is a really difficult hard thing to do. You're like, there's like this wrestle going on in your head. You start to feel a bit mad then. But you know if you've got thoughts in your head and you want to think something different, sometimes you've got to speak it out. You know, your words are more powerful than your thoughts. So if you found the truth in God's word and there's stuff in your head that you don't want to be there, just start speaking the truth of God's word. Speak it out. Tell it to yourself. Let yourself hear yourself say it. It begins to change your thinking because just as thinking is habitual, it's also changeable. There's something about your brain, it's called neuroplasticity, which means you change it according to how you use it. So whatever you've used before is what you've got now. But if you start using it differently, it will change. The structure of your brain will literally change. You can change the pathways of how you think by the choices of what you choose to think about. In that season, there was one of the key trains of thoughts that was about not being enough, a sense of shame that I carried, that I wished probably in some ways that God had made me differently. I'm sure many people will understand that. We kind of think, oh, it would have been better if I was this, a bit taller, or a bit that. Or... And I came to understand that actually really what I was saying there, I was rejecting how God had chosen to make me. And really at the foundation of that, I was saying, God, if you'd consulted me, we could have done a better job on this. <laughs> That's really what I was saying. And that is obviously supremely arrogant. For me to say, I would have been better if you'd done it a bit differently. And I realized that I had to come to a place of finding contentment with how God had made me. And I realized that I could when I understood that he'd made me how he wanted me to be. And he delighted in that that he loved me like that, that God saw all that he makes and it's very good. You know when he looks at you how he's made you, he thinks it's very good and he delights in that. He doesn't want you looking like that other person. He doesn't want you behaving like that other person. He wants you to be you. Yeah. It's what he delights in. He loves it when he sees you being how you are. And there was a verse in that season, you know the truth of God is so helpful in changing how we feel. 1 Corinthians 12, 18, it says, but in fact, God arranged the parts of the body just as he wanted them to be. It's a really straightforward verse. But in that season, it gave me life because it led me back to the love of God for me. This is just what you wanted me to be. Today, when I get up, I'm just what you wanted me to be, just because you made me that way. And it's the same for you. When you got out of bed this morning, God thought, that is just how I wanted them to be. And I love them and I accept them, and I approve of them. 
And it began to do something in me that I was no longer living for the approval of everybody else. I was no longer needed to know what everybody else thought. I no longer needed to know how it matched up. Because I knew that the one who rules everything and reigns everything, he loved me as I was. But I had to go back and put my roots into it and not keep them in the value systems that I'd had. And over some days and weeks that followed, choosing to put my roots down into the love of God in that way, instead of leaning into other people and things, focusing on God's love, moving towards him, it began to utterly transform me. He grounded me. He gave me stability as I let his truth and his love feed my soul in a way that I hadn't learned to do before. And I began to be satisfied, to find the joy of being loved by God. Now, you may find that your roots are in somewhere very different to where mine were. Maybe it's career or position, wealth or stuff, or pornography, promiscuity. It could be good, it could be bad. But friends, whether at face value the things we're looking to are good or bad, it's time for you to move your roots from that place. To put your roots into the love of God. You know, those other things are never going to fully satisfy you. They'll keep you chasing them all your life, but they won't feed your soul. Now, fundamentally, this is a question of idolatry, where we've put something else in the place of God to feed our needs instead of Him. It's been an age-old problem with God's people. Jeremiah was sent with this message, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. You know, we turn away sometimes from the fountain of life and find a bucket with a hole and wonder why we're not satisfied. Friends, it's time for us to put the bucket down and actively turn back to the fountain, to the love of God, to bring a need to Him to bring your hungry soul to him. Let him fill you, meet you, affirm you, accept you, delight over you with singing, which is what it says in the Bible he does. When you look to him and his love for you to fulfill you and affirm you. Wherever your roots are today, you can begin to move them. You can. And the Holy Spirit will help you. You're not alone in doing this. And here are four practical steps Simple, practical things that can help you to do that. Number one is recognize where your roots are currently. Recognize where they are. What are you drawing on to meet the needs of your soul? What's driving you? What takes your energy and your attention? You know, if you really haven't got a clue and you can't work it out, ask someone close to you. They will know. And hopefully they'll say it to you gently. But you know, those around us, they know what's driving us. They know what our roots are in. Number one, recognize it. Acknowledge it. Face the reality. Number two, relocate to the love of God. Step back from looking to those other things for what you need. It's part of this, it's, it's a turning back. The Bible has a word for that, it's repentance. Repent that we've 
sought to meet our needs in other things and actively move towards the love of God. Ask God to fill you. Ask him to help you. Find verses from the Bible which encourage you about the love of God and its ability to satisfy your soul. Psalm 63 is a brilliant one. It says, your love is better than life and my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of food. Number three, rehearse the truth. Rehearse it. You know, when you found some verses, when you found the truth that you need to push into, then stay there. Stay there. Revisit it. Speak it and re-speak it until the way that you think changes, till it gets rid of the lies that are in you. Remind yourself of it again and again. Revisit it. Remind yourself. Renew your mind. Paul writes in Romans 12, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When we get the truth of this into our minds, it will transform us. Identify wherever there's lies in your thinking that tell you something that doesn't line up with the truth of God's word about you. Rehearse the truth. And fourthly, rejoice. Rejoice. Enjoy and celebrate God's love daily. Ask him daily to satisfy you with his love. The prayer of Moses In Psalm 90, he says, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love. I've made this my prayer. I often sit before God in the morning. Lord, satisfy me this morning with your unfailing love. Make it your prayer. Expect him to come and fill you. Then you can celebrate it, revel in it, enjoy it, enter fully into it. Begin each day with gratitude for this amazing love of God. This, friends, is the beginning of deepening our relationship with God. You know, as I come towards a close this morning, I'm conscious this isn't a message that just you can respond in a moment and that's job done. This is a process. This is a commitment, something we commit to turn back to God and begin to put our roots into him. But I do believe for many of us there is a decision to make this morning, a journey to set out on, a commitment that we're going to put our roots into the love of God. I also simply want to add in this week, as I've been preparing, I've been drawn to the account of Simon Peter at the end of John. After Jesus had died and been resurrected, because some of you will know, many of you will know, that Peter had disowned Jesus three times. He denied him and wept bitterly at it. And then we see them have this conversation in John 21, And Jesus sits Peter down by a coal fire, like the one they'd been sitting around when Peter had disowned him. And Jesus asked Peter three times, he says, do you love me? Do you love me? And I felt that this week there's some people, some people here this morning, and you've followed Jesus maybe for some time like Peter had, but in some way you feel you've let God down. And you feel this rules you out from playing your part in God's plan and you've withdrawn from him because of what happened. You pulled back. And this as much as anything else is what's stopping you from being rooted and grounded in the love of God. I believe the Spirit of God wants to speak to you today, to you specifically today. So he always knew what was in you. He knew what you would do or what you wouldn't do. He loved you anyway. It hasn't changed him at all. He went to the cross anyway. 
and he still wants you to be part of the plan and it doesn't change any of that. And he can and he will reinstate you like he did Peter, but the key thing isn't that he wants you to do a role. He's got something more for you to do, although there is. But the key thing is that you restore relationship with him. The key thing is the closeness. The key thing is of you being rooted in his love, not pulling back because you feel you let him down. Not backing down because you know your love for Jesus was brought into question. A sense that Jesus wants to sit down with you and just have an open conversation. You know, Jesus didn't need to ask Peter if he loved him. Jesus knew the answer already. Which tells me Jesus asked Peter the question because he knew Peter needed to hear himself saying, I love you, Lord. He needed to hear himself say it to Jesus, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And somebody here this morning, you need to hear yourself speak it out. Maybe more than once, maybe several times, maybe a number of times, however many times you've questioned it in your mind. Just speak out, I love you, Lord. He's calling you back to be rooted and to be established in love. I'm gonna invite the band to come up. I'm conscious there's a challenge here this morning, friends, and a wonderful invitation to be rooted and established in the unconditional love of God. To come back to the soil of Eden, if you like, in Jesus Christ and put our roots into Him and find that our souls can be satisfied by Him. It takes a move from us. There's a picture given at the beginning of the time of prayer and fasting of some gates. They look like they're locked, but they're not. They're just on the latch. And it's such a helpful picture for us because sometimes we just want God to come in and flood us with his love without us doing anything. And sometimes the Lord says, just come and push the gate. Show me that you trust me. Show me that you're stepping out. Step out. I've made my move. It's not like God is waiting for you to make the first move. He's made his move, friends. He says, step out. Just come and push the gate. It's not locked. It's not locked for you. Come and come through and commit again. In a moment, we're going to sing together. We're going to sing King of My Heart and sing these words. May the King of my heart be the mountain where I run and the fountain I drink from. He is my song. May the King of my heart be the shadow where I hide and the ransom for my life. He is my song. May the king of my heart be the wind inside these sails and the anchor in these waves. May the king of my heart be the fire inside my veins, the echo of my days. He is my song. And I want to invite you to the respond this morning, people, to use this song to say, I'm coming after you, Jesus. I don't want anyone else. I don't want anything else in place of you. I want my soul to be fulfilled with you because I was designed for you. And I'm sorry about all that other stuff. But I come this morning and say, let the king of my heart, let the king of my heart be the wind beneath these sails. Let the king of my heart be the fountain I drink from. And for some of you, it's gonna help you to come out of your seat and come to the front. For some of you, it's just gonna help to do something physical to make that move, a physical expression. I'm coming, Lord, I'm gonna push the gate.
So I'm going to invite us to stand to our feet. If you know right now you want to come out of your seat and come down to the front, then start moving. Come towards Him. Come and push the gate, friends. But let's come to Him this morning. Let's bring an offering of praises. Come and commit to Him. Let's speak out our love to Him this morning. King of my heart.